Well, on the days that I work from home, I usually do a load of laundry or two. And, uh, you know, Molly is the near perfect spouse, but she has this one flaw. <laughs> it's just one, but it's a biggie. <laughs> she cannot take off a shirt without turning it inside out. And then she puts it in the laundry inside out. And so me, as the doer of the laundry, as I do the laundry and then fold the laundry, I get so frustrated as I'm folding inside out shirt after inside out shirt. And so I stand there and I'm like, should I turn this thing right side out and be nice? Or should I just give it back to her folded inside out as a teaching tool, you know? <laughs> so if you want it back in folded or inside out, I thought you must have wanted it inside out because that's the way you put it in. Uh, so most of the times I do turn the shirt right side out again, but sometimes there are these particularly difficult projects when uh, it's not just that the shirt completely is inside out, it's one sleeve only that's inside out. Those are the worst ones at all because you need, of all, because you need the not untangling skills of a Boy Scout to get this shirt unraveled again. So uh, as I'm doing laundry the other day, i am uh, come across one or two or three particularly difficult Molly shirt projects. Uh, and as my frustration is building, I decide I'm just going to put this shirt down and I'm going to reach for my own shirt. And what do you know? My own shirt was inside out. <laughs> which never happened. So I think what happened was Molly went into my laundry, turned it inside out, <laughs> so that I would be guilty of the same sin that I'm convicting her of. <laughs> well, I think you understand that these verses that Paul was writing today are not about laundry. But as I was going through doing the laundry, I think God was teaching me a lesson uh, he was teaching me the lesson of this passage, in fact, which is that none of us has the right to be self-righteous and stand in judgment over anyone else because we are all guilty of sin. And so while I'm standing there folding laundry all righteously indignant about how my clothes are always right side out and hers never are, I find out that I'm convicted of the exact same sin. Uh, and so when we, when we stand there uh, judging, self, uh, judging others and not judging ourselves, do we, do we really believe that we are not guilty of sin? Do we really believe that even if we didn't do this exact sin, that we didn't do that sin that is worthy of judgment? Uh, sometimes uh, we do that because uh, we have a hard time recognizing our own sin. Uh, and only God judges perfectly. Well, last week we were talking about these immoral idolaters uh, that we talked about all throughout verses 18 to 32 of chapter 1. And we focused a lot on homosexuality, but let's not forget the laundry list of sins that were mentioned between verses 28 and 32, because uh, nobody could look through that list and not find themselves on that list somewhere. Well, last week he called that group of people they. Remember, he said they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Uh, this group he addresses as you, or uh, perhaps if you have a different translation of the Bible, it says, O oh man. Uh, that word is different from they, and it's a word that is meant to, to say that there is a different group of people that now Paul is now talking to, different from those immoral idolaters that he's talking about last week. 
And this person that he calls you, or oh man, uh, that is a person who would make the arguments that Paul is going to defend uh, in these particular verses today. So he invents this man called oh man, or you, depending on what your translation says, anticipates the arguments that that person will make, and then he's going to answer those arguments. And, and what he's going to show is that no one is going to escape God's judgment. And Paul laid out principles that God uses to judge uh, in these verses, especially uh, those who think that they uh, are righteous in themselves, who we would call the self-righteous. So uh, as we preview the passage a little bit, in verses 1 to 4, uh, Paul answered the first kind of self-righteous person. And this is the kind of person who thinks that he's not guilty of sin, or at least not guilty of the sin that Paul was talking about in those prior verses. And so perhaps he could avoid judgment because of that. And Paul will say to them, well, God is going to judge you according to God's standard of the truth, not according to your standard of the truth, not according to your revisionist history on the truth. He's going to judge things as they actually are, not as you would like to pretend that they are. And then in verses 5 to 11, Paul answered the second kind of self-righteous person. That's the kind of person who thinks, well, my works are pretty good, and they're certainly better than the guy next to me, so I'm not going to be judged. Uh, and Paul says to this kind of person, well, God will judge you according to your own works, and God will condemn you because of your own works, because they're not all that you think they are. And then in verses 12 to 16, there's a third kind of self-righteous person who says that God uh, would be unfair to judge uh, if, in fact, uh, we don't have enough revelation to know what God's will is. And uh, so he wouldn't be fair to judge those who, have, who don't have enough revelation to know better. And uh, Paul will write to them and say, you will be judged impartially by the revelation of the knowledge that God has given to you, that you have received and you have violated. So... Self-righteousness is the common thread that runs throughout this passage. And when I say self-righteous, I do mean the haughty person who uh, looks down on others. But I also want us to really catch that self-righteous means that you're trusting in yourself for righteousness. The righteousness that God uh, needs you to have if you are going to enter into the kingdom of God. Uh, you are uh, rejecting Jesus for that righteousness, and you are trusting in yourself for that righteousness. That's what a self-righteous person does. These other things that we're talking about today are symptoms of self-righteousness uh, that are stemming from the disease that we think that we're enough in ourselves uh, to make it to heaven. Uh, so let's talk about this first kind of self-righteous person, the one who thought that he could avoid God's judgment uh, because of uh, his own version of the truth. So if we look at verse 1, it says, You, therefore... Have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. So Paul starts with therefore, which ties uh, these verses back to the previous verses that we looked at last week in chapter 1. That group had the revelation of God in nature, uh, and they acted uh, against what they knew to be true from nature. And now Paul is addressing this new group of people, this, this people uh, that he calls you, uh, but he's going to tell them that, look, you guys are no less guilty than the people that, we were, uh, that I was writing about in the previous verses. They might, may not have been guilty of the exact same sin on every point that these other folks were guilty of, but they were still guilty of sin. There's nobody who is not guilty of sin, and Paul needs to expose them to that fact uh, that they were sinners. They were all guilty of at least one sin from that long list uh, that we looked at last week. And when we think about this person that Paul called you, or oh man, 
Uh, this is kind of a transition section between uh, the Gentiles that he was talking about last week, and he's going to talk specifically about the Jews next week. Here he's talking about Jews and Gentiles who thought that their morality was going to be good enough. And he calls this, this group of people you. Uh, Paul had the Jews and Gentiles in mind here. Jews, of course, thought that they were the standard bearers of morality, right? We have the law, we obey the law, uh, and, and everybody should look up to us and do like we do. But you know that Jesus saved his harshest words for the Pharisees who pretended to be moral, uh, but were actually uh, hypocritical and self-righteous. And they ignored or they softened the law to suit their own needs. Uh, and then they held others to a standard uh, that they couldn't achieve themselves. Uh, and so uh, that was the problem with the Jews. But, but Gentiles also would have the same attitude. You, you know, the, the, the Gentiles of the day were not all, you know, these drunken, partying, orgy-attending uh, heathens. There, there was such a thing as a moral and educated Gentile uh, at the time. Uh, they existed, and, and Paul might have been talking to them too. Uh, a person like that might have read Paul's uh, chapter one and said, well, you know, Paul, I don't engage in these kinds of sins. I'm not going to be uh, held uh, to uh, God's standard of judgment for this. Uh, but that's not true either, because uh, I want us to consider for a second the, the first century uh, philosopher uh, by the name of uh, Seneca. He was uh, a man who was a, a Gentile, obviously not a Jew. He was a very moral man, or so he thought. You would not find Seneca at the brothels. He was uh, an educated man, and he was, in fact, Nero's uh, tutor. Uh, and he considered himself to be a moral man, but he overlooked certain sins even in himself. Uh, he worshipped images, and when Nero decided that he was going to kill his own mother, Seneca did nothing to stop it. He looked the other way uh, while Nero killed his own mother. Uh, so, you know, what we see is that whether you're Jew, whether you're Gentile, whether you're you or me, we all have the ability to rationalize our own sins, don't we? And we can look at other people's sins and we can say, well, yeah, that, that's some really bad sin. And we tuck our own sins away in the closet and we don't think about our sins and we don't think that they're as bad as anybody else's sins. But one sin condemns us, right? And so uh, when you look at it that way, uh, the sin is pretty bad if it's enough to condemn us. So we want to be sure uh, that we're talking about, understand that we're talking about Jews and Gentiles here. I think Paul was addressing both groups of people. But at least these unbelieving Gentiles that Paul was talking about in verse 1, at least they were consistent. They knew they were doing wrong. They were happy doing wrong. They encouraged others to do the same wrong that they knew they were doing. At least they were consistent. These guys were hypocritical because they were pretending that they weren't doing wrong, yet in fact they were doing wrong and, and judging other people for doing that wrong. And so they're guilty not only of their own sin, but then also the sin of hypocrisy uh, for pretending that you're not guilty of sin when in fact uh, you are guilty of sin. Now I just want to remind us that uh, Paul was not talking in these verses about salvation. We have to get that clear. God was talking, or Paul was talking about judgment in these verses, the standards that God uses to judge. Uh, everything that we're talking about in these opening chapters is about God's judgment on sin. His good news about salvation doesn't start until we get to the end of chapter 3. For now, he's trying to condemn the whole world of sin. And that's what he's doing. And he's, uh, Paul is showing them that God is going to judge them based on his standard of the truth. And we see that in verses 2 through 4. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. 
So when you, a mere human being, your translation may say, oh man, there, uh, when you pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? So what we have there is God saying, uh, you guys may be judging yourselves and judging others according to your standard of truth, but God is the truth, and everything about God is true. And when he judges, he judges by his standards of truth, not the standards of a mere human being. There is no shadow, uh, sh shifting shadow or falsehood in God. And sinners are very adept at hiding the depths of their own sin and pretending that they're not sinners. And they're also very, very good at judging the sin of others. But at the same time, uh, nothing is hidden from God's sight. So when we're under that standard of judgment, the standard of judgment of God's truth, not our own truth, we find that we are all guilty. And that's why Paul warned them in verse 3, that human beings cannot judge. Mere human beings cannot judge. Uh, because, think about it, we can't even judge ourselves correctly, right? We have such clouded uh, view of ourselves because of our sin that we can't even accurately judge ourselves. So are we really going to think that we have the ability to stand in judgment over others? We are not equipped to do that. Uh, and so the self-righteous man is not going to escape God's judgment. Uh, so Paul's warning in, uh, in verse 3 is that you're going to be judged. And in verse 4, his further warning is not to presume upon God's kindness. We've been studying uh, 2 Peter in Sunday school, and what we've seen, uh, particularly the last week when we were talking about uh, the mockers who come mocking, saying, uh, where is this judgment that is to come? Uh, the idea of these uh, false teachers that were teaching in 2 Peter was that they were saying, look, there is no judgment. We can just keep on doing whatever we're doing and nothing bad is ever going to happen. Uh, what they were saying is that God's justice delayed means God's justice is never going to happen. And, and, and Peter said in that, you wait, judgment is coming. And I think the same principle is at work here. Uh, these people were thinking lightly of the riches of God's kindness, forbearance, and patience. And so if anyone thinks that God is too kind to judge, he is sorely mistaken. We've seen God's judgment uh, at the flood. We've seen God's judgment at Sodom and Gomorrah and all throughout history, uh, particularly as he hands us over to the consequences of our sin when we have become so hardened that we refuse to uh, receive his discipline uh, and turn to Jesus Christ. Uh, but we want to be sure that we are not taking his holiness lightly. And that's what Paul was talking about with these uh, people. He's saying uh, his kindness does not mean he's not holy, and it doesn't mean that he won't judge. His kindness is evidence of his love and his patience because he wants you all to come to repentance so that you'll be saved. Because when he judges, then it's too late. You've already been judged, and that judgment is for eternity. So he wants uh, to communicate that patience is not a license to sin and to keep on sinning. His kindness is to bring us to repentance, not to allow us to sin. Now, this word repentance in, uh, in verse 4 is the Greek word metanoia. And it simply means to change your mind. But in the context of salvation, it means that you are turning from your sin and turning to God in, in uh, repentance of your sin and changing your mind, changing your ways uh, from sin. Now, in the third century, when the Greek was translated into uh, the Latin uh, by Jerome in what's called the Vulgate, 
he translated this word, instead of repentance, he translated it as do penance, which is an incorrect translation of the word. And it's actually been quite harmful because it actually turns our salvation into something that we do and something that we earn and have to keep doing to earn and to keep rather than a free gift that we get from God when we believe in Jesus Christ as his son. And so I want us to, to keep that in mind because a lot of bad theology is built on this idea of do penance and having to keep on doing in order to keep and maintain our salvation. That's not what the word means. So I want us to keep that in mind as we move into this next section because we're gonna be talking about works in this next section. And the, the, the issue here is what about works? And the issue about works is that works can never save us. They can only condemn us. And so uh, this section is geared toward this self-righteous person who thinks, hey, I've done a lot of great stuff. God is surely not going to judge me. So I want us to be sure we get that because if we misunderstand this section, we might think that our works can save us. And in fact, in fact our works can never save us. Our works can only judge us. Uh, salvation is by grace through faith in Christ. Our works are a source of judgment for us. So uh, let's see that God judges according to our works. Uh, verses five and six. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. So in the first section, God judged these people for their hypocrisy by his standard of truth. And here he's going to judge their works by the same standard, by his standard of truth. Uh, and so this section is an answer to the self-righteous person who is just going to rely on his works and say, I've done enough. Uh, so there is going to be wrath upon that person because he's rejected Jesus Christ and he's relying on his, himself. Last week, when we talked about wrath, we talked about a different kind of wrath. Last week, the wrath was God gradually, over time, handing people over to the consequences of their sin. This week, Paul is talking about an end times uh, kind of wrath, uh, the day for, of God's wrath. That's the day when God is going to judge everyone according to their works. And he's going to reveal his judgment against the stubborn and the unrepentant heart. Now, your translation may say a hardened and unrepentant heart. That's also a very good translation. Uh, the Greek word for stubborn or hardened is the word scleroteta. Uh, you may recognize sclero. We get our word uh, sclerosis from that, which is hardening of the arteries. Scleroderma, which is hardening of the skin and the organs. So it's a hardening that happens when we continue to reject Jesus Christ as Savior and we rely on ourselves. Uh, and when we do that, we are divorcing ourselves spiritually from God and we're building up ourselves and we're tearing down others and we're relying on our own works and we're criticizing others' works and we're not realizing uh, that we are in fact guilty of the very sin that we are trying to condemn other people of. And so when we do that, when these folks did that, they were storing up wrath for themselves uh, when they rejected God's offer of salvation through Jesus Christ and relied on their own work. And the standard that God will use is in verse six, he's going to repay you according to what you have done. And Paul says, great, you wanna write down your laundry list of good works that you have done? Go ahead, write that down. And that will be burned up so fast you won't even know what hit you uh, because our standard of works is never going to be equal to what God's standard of works is. And when we look at these verses, uh, it sounds a whole lot like judgment by works. 
And that's, in fact, exactly what it is. He does judge us by our works. Uh, let me remind you again that Paul is not writing about salvation here. He's writing about judgment and condemnation, and our works will judge us and condemn us. We see that theme throughout the Bible. Uh, just let me give you two examples. Jeremiah 17.10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. And John 5, 28, 29, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. So the key to understanding this is to understand that works show the condition of our heart. They're not uh, going to gain us salvation in and of themselves, but they do show the condition of our heart. Matthew 12, 34 says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the same thing is true of works, of a saved person. If we're saved, if we love the Lord, our works should overflow out of a grateful heart for the gratitude of the salvation that we've received. And God is going to judge those works. He'll judge the motivation behind them. He'll judge everything about those works because God judges works. Salvation is through grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone. Good works are evidence that a person has been saved and bad works are evidence that that person has never accepted Jesus as his savior and continues to do bad works that are the result of an unrepentant heart. So uh, as we'll see as we continue in this passage, that God rewards the believer for the things that he has done because they show the condition of his heart, uh, and he condemns the unbeliever based on the things that he has done because those things show the condition of their heart. So verses 7 to 11, those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give those eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. So uh, these verses kind of bookend, right? The, on, the, on verses 7 and 10, we have bookends of, of people who do good works. And in the middle, 8 and 9 are people who do bad works. Uh, these rewards for the people in verses 7 and 10 are immortality, eternal life, glory, honor, and peace. And believers uh, receive these things because they were a, they're actually seeking for them. But we see that in, in uh, verse 7. They, they, do, they do good in seeking glory and honor. Uh, Paul said they're the ones who persevered in doing good and in seeking these things. And that, of course, doesn't mean that they perfectly achieved these things, right? No one has ever perfectly achieved them. Uh, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the fact that they were seeking after them shows that they have a repentant heart. And a repentant, saved heart does the good works uh, that people uh, would expect to see from somebody who is saved and certainly the kind of works that God wants to see, knowing the condition of our heart and the works that flow from those things. But in verses 8 to 9, we see exactly the opposite. These are the self-seeking people, the people who are seeking their own glory rather than the glory that comes from eternal life. And 
one of the problems with self-righteous people is always going to be that they, they are trying to find their salvation in themselves and they pretend like they're doing the works of God, but at the same time, uh, they are actually doing work to glorify themselves uh, and they're seeking their own glory and the glory of other people, building up their works, overestimating the things that they have done uh, and rejecting the truth of Jesus Christ. And so God calls this behavior in these verses wicked and evil. Well, in verse 9, we see that there is tribulation for every wicked person, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Verse 10, there is also uh, good things for the, for the uh, Gentile and the Jew, first for the Jew, and then for the Gentile, for everyone who does good. And so we see that Paul doesn't show any partiality. Uh, I mean, God doesn't show any partiality. He is going to judge people on the basis of what they do, whether Jew or Gentile, because it reflects their heart. So... God is not uh, partial. He loves everyone the same. He wants everybody to come to a knowledge of him and be saved. And he has one standard of salvation. We must believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. But we'll see as we get to the next section that there are different kinds of judgment, different standards of judgment. And what we'll see here is that uh, God judges people differently based on the amount of revelation that they have. And so uh, we'll look at verse uh, 12 here. It's uh, talking about how God judges according to revelation received. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. So the self-righteous person could claim, I don't have enough revelation. Uh, I don't think that God can condemn me because I don't know enough. And Paul answered that God will judge not save, he will judge based on the amount of revelation that we have. God gave the law to the Jews. They were expected to obey it. Uh, if they didn't, they would perish. Uh, God did not give the law to the Gentiles, but he did give them uh, consciences and implanted the law on their hearts. And God would not hold them accountable to a standard that he did not give them. He wouldn't hold them accountable to the law, but he would hold them accountable to the standard that he did give them. And so God doesn't excuse Jew or Gentile. They're both going to be held to the standard of revelation that he has given to them. For the Jews, it was the law. For the Gentiles, it was the conscience, uh, the law written on their hearts and consciences. And so if I could say it one more time, let me remind you that we're not talking about salvation here. We're talking about judgment. So Paul was not saying in these verses that Jews were saved by doing the works uh, written on, uh, on uh, the, the law written on stone. And he wasn't saying that Gentiles are saved by doing the works of the law written on their heart. It's actually just the opposite. It's because of what they knew and didn't do that God judged them. He judged them both for their failure to keep the law for the Jews and the failure to obey the law that was written on their hearts for the Gentiles. No one ever perfectly kept the revelation that they have. The Jew never kept the law perfectly and the Gentile never kept the law who was written on their hearts perfectly. And so God judges them based on their failure to keep the revelation that they had. God saves them based on faith, but he judges them based on how they respond uh, in works and in, uh, in the revelation that they had. So with that in mind, I just want us to look at verse 13, which is aimed specifically at the Jews here. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is, the, it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. So to be a doer of the law is not to obey the law 99 out of 100 times. 
To be a doer of the law means that in your entire life, you've never once broken it at any point, in deed, in thought, anywhere. You have, that's what it means to obey the law. And so there is no one who can claim to have obeyed the law and think that they can be declared righteous because of it. The law can only judge, it cannot save. And so these Jews were guilty because they violated it uh, more than once. And the Gentiles, verse 14 and 15 tell us, are no better off. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, at other times defending them. So when the Gentiles do the works of the law of God, even though they don't have the law, they show that God has imprinted the law on their hearts, and that's a good thing. But it's also very convicting because every Gentile knows that they have violated their conscience at least one time in his life. And so verse 15 is where Paul convicts them. He says there that their consciences would alternately accuse them when they did wrong or defend them when they did right. And so your conscience tells you when you're doing right, when you're doing wrong. I think we know in our hearts most times when we're doing right and when we're doing wrong. Uh, but what it tells us is that God has given us a conscience and he's imprinted this law on our hearts. And the problem with that is that when we think about our conscience, when God puts it there, it's perfect. But as soon as he puts it there, it's tainted by our sin. And so it's unreliable. It's not trustworthy. So even if these Gentiles never violated the standard of their own conscience, which is, of course, impossible, everybody has, but even if, they, if, even if they never had violated their own conscience, even that standard would not be good enough for them to be saved. But the fact that they have violated their own standard of conscience, uh, they know that they are guilty of sin, and that convicts them. And so Paul has shown here that everybody is shut up under sin, uh, condemned by their sin, and there is nobody who can escape God's judgment. And so he judges them in these three separate ways according to his truth. And so we know that his truth, his judgment is righteous. And he judges according to works, which he alone is able to judge. And then he judges based on the revelation that people have. And so on these standards, uh, the people who are reading Paul's letter would be fools to think that they could avoid God's judgment by relying on themselves and not relying on Jesus Christ because no one can uh, avoid judgment by relying on ourselves. In verse 16, Paul wrapped up this section by adding two additional truths. Verse 16 says, This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. So here are the two additional truths. The first is that God will judge men's secrets. Uh, there is nothing hidden from God's sight. And we may think we're fooling others around us, and maybe we are, but we are not fooling God. God knows the condition of our heart. Uh, and then the second truth is that judgment is part of the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ is that he died for our sins and rose from the dead so that everyone who believes will have eternal life. But Jesus Christ will judge who believes and who doesn't. That judgment is his alone to make. And so God will save those who believe from his wrath, but he will pour out his wrath on those people who have refused the gift of Jesus Christ and instead are relying on themselves for salvation. And so judgment is an essential part of the gospel message 
God's wrath remains on those who rely on themselves, and God's wrath is removed from those who rely on Jesus Christ for their salvation. Paul calls it his gospel because he has owned it. It has become part of who he is. Uh, he lived it out. He obeyed it. Uh, he taught it, and ultimately he died for it. So as I said earlier, uh, Paul has not even yet come close to presenting the good news that, that God has a plan to save us. Uh, he's not talk, talked about that at all yet. All the news has so far been bad. There is no one who is exempt from God's judgment. Everyone is condemned by their sin. Last week it was immorality and idolatry. This week it's the self-righteous who God will judge. And so Paul's purpose in this is the need to convict them of their sin so that they see their need for a savior. You'll never understand the predicament that you're in if somebody doesn't show you uh, the sinner that you are and that you need a savior. And, and so it's a lesson for evangelism. Uh, we have to show people that they are sinners in need of a savior before they'll ever understand the predicament that they're in and the need that they have. So as we think about those things, uh, I want us to think uh, more present day context. Uh, what are the things that make us self-righteous? What are the things that we rely on uh, that show that we're relying on self rather than relying on Jesus Christ? And the first one that I thought of was, was knowledge. You know, most of, uh, most of us have been Christians for a long time, some of us for many decades, and, and we know a whole lot. Uh, and knowledge is a good thing, uh, but it's dangerous if we uh, come to be self-reliant on knowledge alone. Uh, the Gentiles had the law written on their hearts. The Jews had the law written on uh, tablets of stone. You and I, we have so much more, don't we? We have the fulfillment of everything that God promised in the Old Testament through Jesus Christ. And we have the Holy Spirit. And so if the Jews and the Gentiles were held to a high standard of judgment, how much higher do you think our standard of judgment is going to be based on the revelation that we have received? Uh, so we have a lot of knowledge, and knowledge is a good thing, but with profound knowledge comes great responsibility. Uh, James 3.1, a verse you know well, says, not let many of you aspire to be teachers because you know that you'll be held to a stricter judgment. And so we can become self-righteous about our knowledge, but knowledge is not the basis of our salvation. Jesus Christ is the basis of our salvation. And it's possible to know all about God and yet not know God. And that is the danger about knowledge. Knowledge can convince us and it can convict us of sin, but it doesn't do anything except judge us unless we respond rightly to the knowledge we have. So we have to be careful that our knowledge leads us to Jesus Christ uh, and doesn't become a basis of uh, something that we become reliant on ourselves. And speaking of that knowledge, it's not something we should ever lord over other people as though we know so much and you know so little. Uh, we should recognize that the knowledge that we have is a gift from God that he's given to us uh, to help us along our spiritual journey and that we should use to help others uh, along theirs, either to save them or to help them become more Christ-like. So we have to be careful that we don't become self-righteous about our knowledge. Our behavior, our works is another thing that we can become self-righteous about. We have to realize that for us too, as well as the first century audience that Paul was writing to, our behavior can only convict us. It can never save us. And so when we stand in judgment over other people because they do this or they do that, uh, do we not realize that we do the same things just like the audience that Paul was writing to? 
Now, just like when I was standing in judgment over Molly's laundry, something as simple as that, I'm convicted of sin. And if we honestly look at, around at other people and then look at ourselves, we'll understand that our works certainly are not worthy of salvation. They're, they're, they're worthy of judgment and condemnation. So I want us to just realize and remember that we should not be self-righteous moralists, ignoring our own sins and pointing to the sins of others. Uh, we don't get to sit in judgment. That's not our job. Jesus has been given all judgment. So let's let Jesus judge and let us worry about ourselves and how we can point others to Jesus Christ um, by the, just being nice to people, loving people, uh, showing them the way to Jesus Christ uh, by our works in gratitude for what he's done and dying for our sins. And a final thing I think we can become uh, very self-righteous about is our own salvation. Because by grace, God has given us this incredible gift of salvation. And there are people in the world who have received it. There are people who have not yet received it, but will receive it. And there are other people who will never receive it. But from our perspective, we don't know who is who, right? Only God knows who is who. And so what is our responsibility with regard to that? If we're self-righteous and proud and judgmental of any, everyone else, we're never going to lead anyone to Christ. They're going to look at us and find us completely distasteful and run away from us in the other direction. But if we love people the way Christ loved people, we will be attractive to them. And if we love them with the same love that Christ loved us and with humility ask Christ uh, to help us reach these people, we can witness to them in a way that leads them to Christ and not from Christ. I'm sure you've heard it said uh, more than once that uh, there is no one who leads people closer to God or further from God than Christians. And I pray that that's never said about us, right? We don't want to be the kind of Christian that leads people away from God. So I want, uh, as we think about uh, how we live our lives, that, that we would uh, talk the talk and we would walk the walk about how we're supposed to live out our Christian lives, that we would not be self-righteous, that we would understand that our righteousness is found in Jesus Christ alone and not in ourselves, and that we are always mindful of our own need for grace and grateful for it so that we can project that to a world who so desperately needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, these are tough messages in the early parts of Romans. Uh, we cannot read these verses and honestly evaluate ourselves and say in any way that we are free from the guilt of sin. Lord, it stains us. It touches us everywhere. Uh, Lord, we are guilty and we acknowledge it. Lord, the good news is coming as we get to chapter 3 and, and just thank you for your provision of Jesus Christ as our Savior. Lord, we thank you for what he did in dying on a cross for our sins, because when we really look at ourselves and realize how sinful we are, it makes grace that much greater to understand how much we've been saved from, Lord. So I pray that these verses will convict us, but I pray that we walk out of here hopeful and thankful, Lord, for the grace that is found in Jesus Christ alone. It's a gift that we don't have to rely on ourselves. It's a gift that we get to rely on what Jesus did and not on what we've done, Lord. So thank you for that gift. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who has not received that gift, that they would receive the gift of Jesus Christ today. I pray it in Christ's name, Lord. Amen.